Well, good morning, River Ridge Church. I'm so glad that we are here together for another Sunday morning. Um, if we haven't met for whatever reason, my name is Blair, and I'm actually the discipleship pastor here at the church. And so what that means is that I spend most of my time really focused in on creating real life-changing community. And we mostly and primarily do that through our Ridge groups. And so I spend a ton of my time helping people find that way into one of those groups to have, that they might have community as well. Uh, a couple months ago, we launched off our new groups ministry year, um, and I was excited. We, we at launched at least six new groups, um, which accounts for about 80 or 85 new people that were disconnected previously from group, disconnected from community, and now in community. And so we've got a great rhythm going on around here a group of people who have found their way in a place where they can belong so that they might believe, so that they might become exactly who God called them to be in their life. And so if you are trying to do life alone and you would love to get connected with a community, I would love to help you find that way into that community because I think it's really, really important for us as we walk this Christian life. And so grab me out there, text me, email me, come find me and let's have a conversation about what that looks like and we'll help you get plugged into the right people to help you continue on in your journey with God. We're going to continue our series through the book of Romans um, again this week. Last week, Andy explained for us how we were making a shift, actually. Over the first 11 chapters, we're, we're really seeing what we are to believe as Christians. And then starting in chapter 12, we start to transition to what do we do with that faith? How do we live out that belief that we have? How do we live out the things that we do believe? Um, and we're going to continue that in today as well. The first two verses, though, that Andy kind of went over last week, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, have been really, really significant for me. And for the last six months or so, they've kind of shaped everything in my life, and they've been transformative for me in a lot of different ways. Um, there's basically... I, I don't even know if I can count the number of conversations that Brandon and I have had where we're talking and those verses come up in one way or another. They're shaping the way that I think about the activities I do. They're, they're shaping the way that I think about the way in which I parent, the TV shows that I watch, the things I'm going to do, the apps that I have on my phone. Everything about those verses has been shaping the way in which I'm doing life right now. And I, and I don't want to act like or pretend that I'm, I'm complete or I'm, I'm full and I'm finished here or whatever, but those verses have been a significant part of, uh, of, of, of the shaping of my life. And, but it's not just the doing, but it's really even in just the saying and the talking about them to recognize what these words say that Paul has said here have actually wrecked my life in a good way multiple times this year. Let me read these just because I want to make sure that we're all on the same page here so that we remember what these are. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, which is your spiritual worship, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. In view of God's mercies, present your body as a living sacrifice. Do not conform to the world anymore, but be transformed, be changed, be completely different with the changing of your mind. What this tells me is that as a Christian, I have a new way of seeing things and a new way of thinking about things that transforms my life. And in every situation, I'm called to look through 
every situation with what is almost like this gospel or grace goggles. My view of everything goes through in light of the mercies that God has given to me, that he's placed on me. And every situation, and now when I look at something or someone, I see the situation and the person differently than I ever did before. And he said that last week, he said that if we want to have a normal life, we don't actually need to do anything differently at all. We will just naturally just conform to what's going on around us. We will just naturally conform to a normal life, just like everybody else. We will naturally just conform to the culture. But Paul is challenging believers in view of all the things that God has done for you. In view of the fact that while I was a sinner, Christ died on the cross for me. That while I was a sinner, he justified me and made me right with God. That he freed me from the bondage of sin and he freed me from the bondage that the law had on me. That I now live with the Holy Spirit inside of me. That I have peace with God and one day I will be glorified with him in heaven. And Paul says in view of those things, as you look through those things, as you think about these things, don't be conformed any longer. Don't be normal but through his mercies be transformed through the renewal of your thinking and become who God made you to be. And sometimes we ask that question in here, who does God want us to be? Who who is it? But if we surveyed the New Testament, we'd get a theme that pops up all through the entire New Testament. Galatians 5.14 says this, for the whole law can be summed up with this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Ephesians 5 says this, imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ who loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love, but the first couple of verses say this, if I could speak all the languages of the earth, if I could speak the languages of the angels, but didn't love others, I'd only be like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I could understand all of God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge that was out there, and if I had such faith that would move even mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, even sacrificed my own body, but I could, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And maybe the most telling thing for us that are followers of Jesus was Jesus' own words to his disciples. And he said, Your love for one another will actually prove to the world that you are my disciples. As we offer our body as a living sacrifice, what it's challenging us here, Paul explains how that will look even in our relationships. And in Romans 12, that's what we're gonna see here. Essentially how redeemed people are to relate to other people. And starting in verse nine, Paul lists out like, 30 different characteristics of what a true believer looks like. My Bible, even at the top of it, tells me that these are the marks of a true Christian, meaning that when I see a follower of Jesus the way God says a follower of Jesus is to be or look, these are the things that represent them as they represent him. And of course, at the beginning of this list, if you wanna be turning there, Romans 12 is where we're gonna be, At the beginning of this list, in verse 9, it starts by addressing that word love. And it says this, it says, let love be genuine. Genuine. Let love be authentic. Let love be real. Let love be sincere. 
The number one mark of a believer in Jesus, the number one mark that a believer will be is that their love is genuine. One of the versions and the translations actually translates this word genuine to um, without hypocrisy. In the past, the word hypocrite, I don't, you've, probably plenty of us have heard about this before, but in the past, the word hypocrite was actually used for actors. And they would say that during the play, the actor would go backstage, and when they'd go backstage, they'd change their mask, and then when they'd come back out, they'd be a different character, a different person in the play. And so they would call them a hypocrite. They would wear a face. And Paul is saying that love can't just be a mask. For believers in Christ, people who are transformed, it can't just be a mask. What you see on the outside has to match what's on the inside. Maybe Paul understood what the church might become, that there'd be this tendency for us that we would put on a show of love and not really be genuine. Those who don't really live in view of God's mercies might do nice things for people, but on the inside, don't really care about them at all. And we might even feel good about ourselves because we do these nice things for them. But then when we go home and we connect with our spouse and we tell them, I and mean, we're all the time talking about how negative we feel about that person. We got this nice fake Christian phrase that we use for that. We go and help and take care of this person and then we share with other people how we were so loving to that person and I was like, oh, they were so, oh my goodness, and that girl was such a mess. Bless her heart, right? Bless their heart. That's, that, that has to be probably one of the most hypocritical phrases of all time because we say one thing and then we say a different thing and we almost kind of cover it over with, bless their little heart. And Paul is saying, though, that our love, it has to be real. So what, we, what, so, so what does that tell us there, then? That to, to stop doing the things for people until our heart's right, right? Like, go home, make sure your heart is right, and then go and do those love actions. But I don't think that's what he's saying to us here. I think he's actually saying, keep on doing the things you're doing to show them love, and at the same time, Ask God to transform you through the power of the gospel so that your love is actually genuine. Don't stop doing the actions of love, but plead with God to fix our hearts so that we love rightly. In view of God's mercies, God, Holy Spirit, help me to see this someone the way you see them. Help me to remember how unattractive I was before you saved me. When you offered yourself on the cross for me, when I was still in the midst of sinning, I was way more unattractive to you than this person is to me. Yet you went to the cross for me. In view of that truth, in view of the mercies that you've given me, transform this hypocritical heart so that my love is genuine. Mark of a true Christian is let love be genuine. And in that same vein, we go into the next verse here where it says, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. This might seem a little weird to us, right? Like Paul goes from love to hate in four words. But Christians aren't supposed to hate, right? Like that doesn't make sense. 
Tim Keller helped me understand this a lot more though when he wrote it this way. He said, we cannot love rightly without hating rightly. And this is closely linked to the word being genuine. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, hate the sin but love the sinner? Right, like we say that. This is probably the place and where that, that, that phrase comes from, right here. Christians are actually to despise the things that destroy what God loves. Each and every person was made in the image of God. We were made to be in communion with God, living in this constant relationship with God with all of our time, but because of the evil, the things that God hates, because the things that we sometimes just call sin, we have been separated from God, and this is what Christians are to hate. Think about how you feel when someone you love whose life has been destroyed by unwise decisions or relationships that they've been a part of. Real love, genuine love, is concerned about the truth, and any love that's afraid to actually confront the beloved person is not really love at all. It's a selfish desire to be loved. I'll do anything to keep him or her loving me. This isn't loving the person, it's loving the love that you get from the person. And my love can't be genuine if I operate in this same kind of way. I try to think about some of the things that, that I understand when I think about those things that, that, um, that, that I should hate. And some things popped into my brain when I hate the sin but love the sinner. I honestly hate drugs, I really do, because they have ruined the lives of so many people, people that I have known and cared about. I hate pornography because it's destroyed the number of marriages and it's caused deep-rooted destruction in the life of many people that I've known. I'll be honest, there are days when I actually hate the internet, when I hate YouTube, when I hate all the apps. Because, nah, it's not because I want to be this cranky old man, but because I get tired of dealing with all the things that my kids are exposed to. I hate gossip because it wrecks friendships. I hate lying because it breaks trust. The scripture there tells us to hate what is evil, but hold fast to what is good. This hold fast has this meaning of being glued to. Cling to it with all your might. Some versions even say to be wedded to it. And this verse gives us this idea that I should be so involved with what is good that I don't even have time to be involved with anything that's bad. I should be finding the good things that God has for me and so be so invested in those things that it looks like I'm clinging to them with all that I've got. And real love strives to help others cling to those things as well. So Paul takes the rest of this chapter, though, and starts to really explain what this genuine love looks like in a couple of different relationships. In 10 through 16, he says, here's what genuine looks like when you're interacting with other believers. And in 17 to 21, he says, here's what love looks like when you're actually interacting with your enemies. In view of God's mercies, we have a different way of thinking about both of them, though. And in your reading this week, you're going to see what it looks like to love those that are against us. This morning, we only have enough time to get to one half of this, and we're gonna look this morning at what it looks like to really love other believers, which I think for most of us is the place where we actually need to start. 
But I am confident that if we grab hold of what it means to love other believers, that our love will not stop at the exit doors there, but it will play itself out in every relationship that we have. So let's get going on this. Starting in verse 10 here, Paul is actually gonna give us four kind of categories that help give us or build up a definition that we would call Christian love or biblical love or this genuine love. And he starts in verse 10 here by saying, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The number one aspect of genuine love is that Christian love is committed. Both the word devoted and brotherly here apply the normal relationships of a blood-related family to the Christian family. And so Paul is trying to tell us here that love at work in the body of Christ amongst believers should resemble the love at work that we have in a nuclear family. I, have, I, I, I know that probably for some of us we have a jacked up family and so we need to be able to look at this through the lens of a healthy family. See, in a healthy family, if, a, if your sister develops some kind of problem, you don't give up on her. If your parents become needy in their old age, you don't say, well, I just don't have the space for you, nothing we can do about it. No, no, no. In a healthy family, we rearrange our lives to care for them. If your kids start having problems at school, they start causing some issues or they develop this annoying characteristics, you don't call them in and say, hey, listen, son, sorry, it's just not working out for you here anymore. <laughs> uh, it's not you, it's us. But the security be here just a second to take you out. We can't have you here anymore. Parents, I know there are days when that's exactly the feeling we have, right? But we don't do it, right? No, you are devoted to them because they're family. And in a family, the problems experienced by one family member are problems that are experienced by every family member. Everybody takes responsibility for that. At River Ridge, I have a group of people that are committed to walk through life with me. They have committed to taking on my problems as their own. And if I come to my group with a problem, they would bear it with me. And I know that they won't give, on, give up on me. And that's what genuine love is. It's committed. I wonder here, honest question. This is an honest question. It's, it's, it's for self-evaluation, I guess. Is that how you would compare your commitment to the body of Christ? Maybe for you, it's more like an intramural soccer team, right? You enjoy it. You give some of your time for it. You give a little bit of your energy for it. But it's only a night a week, and it's not really that high up on my priority list. Maybe, maybe the commitment is more like a season of a TV show you watch, kind of like uh, The Voice was a few years ago. And at the beginning of the season, you're totally into it. This is an awesome show. But if the singers aren't your favorite, or if you start getting bored with it, you just change the channel. Maybe it's closer to, it's like a free trial of the streaming device or streaming service you just got. You sign up for the two-week trial, and you actually like some of the content that's there. It's pretty good, but you keep switching between eight different email addresses so that you don't have to actually join or get, really get invested or get involved. But the reality of the Christian community, the reality is, is that the Christian community should be like family, 
not an event you attend, but a family you belong to. And your relationship to the church should be like a family, where you show up for dinner, not because you like what's on the menu, but because it is your family. And I'm gonna be honest, for a lot of us, this commitment is somewhat difficult for us, but I think it's because we live in such an individualistic society. But if we're gonna, in, in order for us to live a transformed life, we can't continue in the same patterns that the culture teaches us. But a genuine love is committed. It goes on here in verse 10, and actually the other side of that says, outdo one another in showing honor. Number two, if you're taking notes, is Christian love is others-centered. The word honor means to treat someone or something with value or even as valuable. Christians, followers of Jesus, understand that every human being ever created bears the image of God himself. That alone makes every image bearer valuable because of the image in which they represent. The gospel teaches us that every believer walking around here is someone who was purchased with the highest price ever paid for anything in all of existence, the son of God himself. And now as a result of the gospel transformation in their life, they possess within them the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2.3 actually takes it a little bit further and it says, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Honor others above yourself is not a call to convince yourself to see yourself as inferior. Andy told us that last week. He taught us that what we're supposed to have is actually a proper view of ourselves. So we, if we are people, bear the image of God ourselves. If we are believers in Christ, then I am a child of the King himself and the Holy Spirit lives within me as well. I am valuable as well because that is who God made me. But Paul is saying here that true love is concentrating more on the needs of others than we do on our own. Genuine love is not self-centered, it's others. It, it, it honors others. And the essence of this love is not to concentrate on our own image or our own position or even the things that we need, but on the position and needs of others. I put my concentration on them. You know what a great example of this is, is Christmas when you become a parent, right? For most people, it's like this switch that just happens. Christmas before kids, oh, I can't wait to see what I open up and get. Christmas after kids, it's like, oh, I can't wait to see their expression when they open up what I gave them. Becoming a parent is like this switch that just happens and your view completely changed and your thinking completely changes because no longer do I concentrate on what I need or what my position is or what, what I want, but I become so focused on what my kids want and their joy. And what this scripture teaches us in view of God's mercies, I can be transformed to look at my spiritual family that way too. Verse 11 continues on. It kind of gives us an idea of what that genuine love looks like. It says, do not be slothful in zeal. 
Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Number three, Christian love is patient. And I kind of sum up all those different words that we see in there with the word patient. But really, when you look at these verses for the first couple of times, you start reading them and you feel like they're actually talking about your relationship with God. And you start to look at them that it says, you know, um, serve the Lord. But we have to remember the context in which Paul is teaching these passages here. And they're dead in the center, in the middle of while Paul is explaining and describing our love for one another. And so what Paul is actually doing here with these, with these commands is he's exhorting us to use every spiritual resource that we have in order to not give up on other believers, to not give up on those who are part of our family, the brothers and sisters that are part of our family. He says, rejoice in hope. Hope in the gospel knows that I am never, ever, ever talking to someone who is too far gone. Maybe Paul is trying to challenge us with these verses. He's saying what you need to do is be a good model so that when you go through life's difficulties, when you're experiencing these things, that you're a good model for other people on how they should live this out. But maybe, or maybe, what we're actually seeing here and what Paul is really trying to get us to do is to look and say that we are to actually meet the needs of others in the midst of patience in their tribulation. That we are to be constant in prayer for them. And as we serve and love the family, we're actually serving the Lord. To be deeply involved in people's lives is hard work. It really is. Our hope in God reminds us, though, that God is relentless in his commitment to his children. If we read through scripture, we'll see how God's character plays itself out. It says, even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalm 27, 13 says this, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 141, 18 says this, I will fix my eyes on God because he is my refuge and he will not let death overtake me. As a result of the gospel, genuine love allows me to rejoice in the hope. I can be patient in the tribulation and I can be constant in the prayer for my brothers and sisters. Sometimes, maybe even a lot of times, this patience isn't going to be reciprocated. Verse 14 even shows us that. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Sometimes we actually are even being persecuted by other believers. Paul doesn't excuse us from genuine love, though. He says, bless them. Because Christian love is patient. It's also patient through forgiveness, this says that true love just doesn't forget things, but to bless them, to build them up, even when they hurt me. Genuine Christian love is committed. It's other sinners. It's patient. And lastly, Christian love is emotional and tangible all at the same time. See, on the one hand, in these verses, we're called to empathize with others. 
says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And actually in verse 13, though Paul challenges us to put our money where our mouth is, and he says contribute actually to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. See, genuine love literally means that we are to share our homes, our money, our things with those who need them. And this passage has it in the correct order, and it's important for us to see it here. The order of this is important because it actually identifies for us taking care of each other comes first because we are family. There honestly should not be any needy within River Ridge Church. We should be so committed to each other in such a way that we take care of each other's needs immediately. I, I honestly feel like I have a ton of these people in my own life. And the way they take care of me makes a major difference and makes a big difference in my everyday. Like Carol calls our friends Tammy or April all the time when she's missing an ingredient and they are quick to pull it off their shelf and give it to her. My friend Dave takes me to breakfast or to the golf course just to talk about life with me. My friend Keith brings his tools up and is at my house every time something is broken at my house, he is there with his tools ready to help me. My friends Sam and Leanne, they're taking my kid everywhere around the place to get him from to and fro everywhere he needs to go. And I could keep going on and on, and if I didn't say your name, please know that I recognize your genuine love for me, I just ran out of time, but I know, I know, I know. And I don't recognize that it doesn't go unnoticed to me, but I have so many people in the church who care for my needs. And as a result of that, that love and commitment should then spill out into the streets in the form of what the Bible calls hospitality, which literally means stranger care. Christians' love is, is tangible and it's real, and it's not just nice words, but is active in meeting needs. But it's also emotional. And you might question, like, to Paul, like, Paul, how in the world can you command us to feel something? Like, I can understand the doing of something, but how can I make myself feel something? But it literally says to rejoice when they rejoice and to weep when they weep. Those are emotions. And actually, what I think Paul is trying to do here is actually commanding us to do something that is within our power. He's saying genuine love goes through this tough discipline where we actually stop what we're doing and we seek to try to fully understand what that other person is feeling in the moment. We actually try to understand the inner world of another person. So what it looks like is that I have to remember my own grief, put myself in that grief so that I can fully re recognize the grief of somebody else. I've experienced losing someone. I know what that feels like. I actually go back into that experience. I feel what I feel so that when I go to them, I can grieve with them for what they're going through in that same moment, and I bear that burden with them. On the other side of that, I have to think about how joyful I would be if I was in the same situation when this thing happened to them, if it happened to me. This one may actually be harder than the grieving. It may actually be more difficult to rejoice with somebody else when they're rejoicing, especially when you don't get what they've got and you really want it too. 
Like imagine if you and your friend, you worked at the same place and you put in for the same promotion and they get it and you don't get it. Christian love looks different. Genuine love looks different. It looks in such a way that says, I'm gonna feel what I would have felt if I got that job. I'm gonna feel it just like that and I'm gonna rejoice with them even when I don't have this. And in view of God's mercies in my life, I have a transformed, genuine kind of love that looks different. A Christian number one mark in their life is that their love is genuine. A genuine love or a Christian love is committed, it's other-centered, it's patient, it's emotional and tangible all at the same time. And the early church grew so rapidly because this is what they looked like. And at the end of the day, what convinces the world of the truth of the gospel is not the defense of our faith with it, it's our love for each other. Francis Schaeffer said, love on display is the church, in the church is Jesus's final argument, his apologetic to the world. And I really think if we're doing this, outreach would get a lot easier for us as a church. We wouldn't even need great music or special events to attract people to our church. People would be beating down the doors to get in around other people who actually had real, genuine love. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your scripture. I thank you that it challenges and encourages us as believers. And as we look at this, we are challenged to think about what it really means to be your follower, to no longer live a conformed life, to be transformed by changing the way in which we think, see things and think about things, and that we do everything in view of your mercy and the things that you've done in our lives. God, I pray as we see this scripture. I pray that it would challenge us to have a genuine love. I pray that we would recognize how our life has been transformed as a result of what you've done for us and that we walk in a newness of life. And as a result of that, every situation, every person we encounter is different as a result of what you've done. And when we look in the mercies of where our life has come from and into your way you've made it, we act and we are different. And as a result of that, people will know that we are your disciples and they will know what genuine love really is. Thank you for the gift of that grace that you show us every day. Amen. Hey, that's gonna conclude our services today. So glad you guys were with us today. Hope you have a great time in your groups. We'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday.